Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back. Let's go right to the phones. And yes, I did say right to the phones, not left to the phones. We do hear that. I get you guys joking out there. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors is Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing great. It looks like a beautiful day. It looks like a day I should be either fishing or barbecuing, but you're going to tell me I need to be that I need to be out scouting. Oh, Terry, there's so much going on, and I got to say, I got to start off the show. You just talked about somebody giving you a hard time. I got to give a quick shout-out, because right before I came on, I got a text from a buddy of mine. He listens every day, Bobby Schmack from Lep Replicas, Inc. He, uh, he's a taxidermist, does fish replicas, does birds the best work out there but he sits in his studio and he listens every day and you know every day when i get off the, the show he texts me and he asks questions and and you know wonders about this so i just gotta say out of all the loyal listeners we have which there are thousands uh just a huge shout out to, to bobby schmack for listening every weekend and uh and keep me on my toes uh before and after the show for sure <laughs> How do people get a hold of them? These great taxidermists. Do you have a website or something for them? Yeah, absolutely. Replicas Inc. You can uh, pull it up on the web. Replicas Inc. You got a Facebook page, things like that. But uh, just just Google Replicas Inc. Uh, if you have questions, you can contact me. I'll put you in touch. But yeah, I mean, between the fish and the birds, uh, there, there's nobody else finer out there. And again, I know he's listening right now, so uh, we can definitely uh, get his information posted for sure. Uh, but yeah, Terry, it is that time. Um, every year we do this. We talk hunting, and we get honestly a lot of people give us grief. They're like, man, it's June. It's July. You know, why are we talking hunting? But there's so much to, to be said for it. And this year, uh, similar to last year, there's even more things that you have to prep for. So we've been doing the, the whole big game series with CPW, and we've literally laid it out for you. So if you like what we're talking about, go to any any outlet for CPW. You can go to Colorado Outdoors Online. Uh, you could go to their website. You can go to their Facebook page. But Colorado Outdoors Online and their Facebook page are probably the two easiest ways to find the content. And we're walking you through the entire scouting process. But there's a lot that to, to be said about it. So today I want to talk about where you should be at scouting. And I have to talk about gear a little bit. Um, so we're going to talk about gear first. And then we're going to jump into the, the scouting concept. But every year, on any year, the last 20 years, obviously outdoor rec is a big thing in Colorado. Hunting is a big thing in Colorado. And we, we only have so many retailers. And it just is what it is. Even though we're very lucky you know, to have your Bass Pros, your Cabela's, your Shields, your Sportsman's Warehouse, even though it seems like we have a lot of retail, when it gets bombarded with people purchasing outdoor gear, they sell out. And then you throw on top of the, you know, production and manufacturer struggle this year um, with the kind of continuing effects of COVID with the boosting effects of outdoors. Um, people are, are lacking. So I'm kind of mentoring a handful of youth hunters this year. We're actually creating some content about it. I can't wait to share, share it with you here coming up this fall. But I've been helping out these youth hunters kind of get organized. And obviously, we help out a lot of hunters and we get calls and texts and emails of, of questions. And yesterday, I was actually at a handful of the retailers in the front range um, helping out some muzzleloader hunters, and I was astonished at the lack of production um, of that. You know, you talk to the retailers, and they're like, we've had stuff on order for a year. Um, and that's everything from primers to powder to bullets, uh, even to the firearms, to muzzleloaders themselves. And I was blown away at how little there is on the floor. Um, you know, and I heard that certain retailers had more, so I checked it out, and, 
know, they have a lot of some things lacking others. And, you know, again, I'm by no means you know, saying that the retailers are failing. It's just shocking at how little product is out there. So if you're hunting this year, literally, if you go to your hunting area of your house or your shop, or your garage, you need to look at what you have for this upcoming hunting season. So if you are an archery hunter, do you have broadheads? Do you have enough arrows to practice with, you know, shooting as much as possible and still have enough arrows to hunt with, you know, is your bow set up? Are you planning on getting a new bow Um, rifle hunting? Are you going to use the rifle you have? Do you have optics on that rifle that you want to use this coming hunting season? Do you have ammunition, you know, completed, ready to go ammunition? I talked to a lot of guys that reload and they're like, well, I'm good. I have brass and, and powder, but do you have bullets? You know, do you have powder? Do you have casing? Do you have everything that you need right now going into this hunting season? That's including practice and hunting rounds. Uh, And then obviously like the muzzleloader thing. The only reason I bring this up is right now I would say it's not necessarily looking great uh, to walk into any retailer or jump online and find really what you need. It's going to take a little bit of work. Uh, especially on the methods of takes, that's archery, muzzleloader, and and rifle hunting, um, to get the products that you need. I am one of them. I am seeking out a very particular um, brand finished bullet, um, and I'm struggling to find it for one of the calibers that I'm hunting with this fall. So uh, just because I'm living it myself, I just encourage all the listeners right now, do not put it off one step further. Think about what you need this coming fall. And, you know, again, whether it's seek out a retailer and ask them if they can order it for you, find it online, whatever the case may be, put emphasis on the methods of take and what you need for that right now uh, because it's a little harder to find than it's ever been. Uh, so let's make sure that everybody does that because the worst thing is to have your your bow dialed in with a certain arrow and broadhead or have a, a muzzleloader dialed in with a certain powder and bullet or your rifle with a certain, you know, grain bullet and have to switch that because that's what leads to failure in the field this coming fall. So take the time. We owe it to the animals that we're pursuing to make sure that we make the best shot absolutely possible. Uh, We do not need to have that failure because that's where things go wrong. We owe it to the animal to have that clean harvest. So start now. Make sure that you are absolutely a shooting machine come fall, but make sure you have the gear. And again, I I promise you, when you start looking for it, uh, you'll be surprised at how hard it is to find. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, We're seeing that throughout the outdoor industry, and we've been encouraging that all year, and we're going to have some more on that even later in this show, and then we're going to have more on that uh, as the next few weeks go on because you're you're possibly going to have to adjust, and you need to really, like you said, do it early enough so that you've got things dialed in. So what should we be doing right now in the field, Nate? You know, Terry, right now we kind of put it all together. So a couple of weeks ago we talked about really learning the, the terrain. So learning, you know, what trails are open, what trails are closed, where can you take motorized vehicles, where can you not, uh, you know, what's wilderness area, what's not. So, you know, in early June it was all about the terrain. Then middle to late of June we started learning what we call the daily habits. The daily habits are food, water, and bedding, and that's the biggest thing that I look for. I want to know where these animals can bed. I want to know where they can get drinks and where they can get water. I want to know what grass is going to survive. Uh, you know, you want to have good, healthy grass. If your grass does not look good right now after all the rain we've had, it is not going to be a sustainable food source come hunting season. So late June, it was all about learning food, water, and bedding because those are daily habits 
that are going to 100% increase your success this coming fall. And then right now we throw animals into the equation. So now I'm long-range scouting. When I say long-range scouting, I am not in the field uh, you know, traipsing around. I'm not bumping into the animals where I'm pushing them away. I'm not close enough where they can smell me. I am sitting off at a distance, and this can literally be everything. This could be from inside your truck looking up a big draw or looking at ridge tops. It can be a situation of hiking the, the top of the hill and getting to the top of the mountain and glassing down into valleys. But regardless, I am keeping my distance. By no means will the animals ever know I'm there what I am scouting right now. I don't want to booger them up. I want to watch from afar. So my goal is to find animals, number one, break down the animals that I find. So when you see a big bachelor group of bulls, you're asking yourself, hey, you know, no way are these bulls going to get along come the rut, come September. So how are they going to break down? If I'm looking at 10 bulls, how many mature bulls do I have that are going to be like a herd bull? How many, you know, smaller bulls do I have that are going to hold smaller groups of, of cows? You know, how many bulls that are you know, very much young of the year and are going to be satellite bulls? And I'm breaking those down, and I'm starting to watch their patterns. And that goes for everything. I'm looking at pronghorn. I'm looking at deer. And I'm just trying to understand what they're doing, how their behavior is, how it's going to break down this coming hunting season. And I start to look for small patterns. With small patterns, I want to see you know of the particular animals i'm watching how fast do they go to their beds what time do they go into their bedding zones how long do they stay out feeding you know and once i start watching that i can start watching them walk to where they drink and i can get an estimate of hey you know when are they drinking how often are they drinking what times are they drinking and it's that stuff right there is what creates success this coming fall and i have to talk about that because so many hunters i I get talked about or I, i talk to them and like, man, Nate, you have a lot of success. You're a great hunter. And and I honestly, I want to throw this out there right now because I am not this great hunter. Now, I know people. You know, we talked about that Bobby Schmack that was just here. The guy can sneak up on anything. And I'm not that guy. I'm kind of clumsy. I'm not a very stealthy hunter. I can call the elk, but I'm not that guy that's going to enter a calling competition. I'm not a great caller. Um, I can shoot decent, but I'm not shooting great. Everybody, you know, watched that sheep pond a couple of years ago where I couldn't hit the things. I am mediocre at my talent levels of sneaking, calling, shooting. I'm good. I'm not great. Um, but where I find my success is through scouting, Terry. I break it down. I know when the animals are going to drink. I know how long they feed before they move into their bedding grounds. I know when they come out of their bedding grounds. I learn their daily patterns flawlessly. And all I simply do is get in their way. And that's what has created so much success for me through my 10 years of guiding uh, and really the last you know, 10, 12 years of just hunting. Um, the biggest thing is scouting. I learned everything about them to where I don't have to be a great caller. I don't have to be you know, super stealthy. I know their patterns. I know at this time they're going to do this. And I simply get myself in position, and it makes it so much easier, Terry. And really, if I can talk to every hunter out there if you are unhappy with the results that you've had hunting big game in colorado if you're unhappy with that success rate scouting is what will increase that success you know everybody talks about oh there's so many people in the woods and i'm hunting public land i am too and i'm dealing with those same things but if you know the animals you know what they're going to do it is so much easier to create success i mean you can literally look at it at anything in life um you you can tell ask some random guy hey you know, can you predict when your male guy's going to come? You're like, well, if I watch him for a week straight, 
yeah, I could probably get a good idea of when the mail guy comes. Hey, if I watch the UPS guy or FedEx guy for a week straight, I'll probably learn his pattern. It's the same thing. You know, if I watch the general human behavior, hey, what time do you, you know, wake up? What time do you drink your coffee? What time do you go to work? If you watch behavior and study it for a week straight, you build patterns. And all of a sudden you think about that in the animal world. It is the same thing. If you watch from afar, learn their patterns and learn their daily habits, when they drink, when they bed, when they're feeding, how they act, all of a sudden you can literally just put yourself in that situation, and all of a sudden you have a successful haunt. It, it, I, I break it down like that, I promise you. It's necessarily not really that simple because you have to get out there and you have to find the animals, you have to scout them. But once you do that, it is that simple. Just build patterns, get yourself in that situation, and you're going to have a very successful hunting season. But it all starts with scouting. Uh, scouting is everything, in my opinion, to creating a successful hunt the coming fall. Well, and you and I say over and over again all the time that if you don't have time to scout – we're not telling you you shouldn't go hunting. Make sure you understand where you're going and your firearm and your equipment enough that you'll be safe, but reset your expectations that your success, your chances of success are much less without good scouting. But the other thing good scouting does, Nate, is that instead of having a hunting season that's a week long, you're enjoying that hunt for months. It, it, that's it, Terry. It is. I, I bring the whole thing in. You know, my kids come scouting. My family comes scouting. We make it. Uh, you know, we make it about the exercise, and we go on hikes. We make it about the, the values of enjoying nature, and we watch all that kind of stuff. We tie it into trips. You know, if we're going to go somewhere, it doesn't matter. We're, you know, we're going to go on a little family vacation. We're going to go on a drive. We align our scouting with that to where, you know, we'll go scout for a few hours in the morning uh, before doing so. I talked to to, to Connor at, at Bass Pro this last weekend, and, you know, he has a, a great hunting tag this year, and he's tying all of his little family trips. You know, hey, they're going to go to a hot springs and swim. He ties it into where, you know, as they're going to or from that type destination, he can jump in the woods for just an hour because really – that first hour of light, that last hour of light, that's when so much is happening. And you don't have to dedicate a whole weekend or even a whole day. You need an hour or two in the morning, an hour or two at night. So time things up to where you're still, you know, enjoying life, but you're tying it into where you're building a little education on your hunting, uh, and it takes you a long ways. It's just kind of one of those things. And, and honestly, Terry, the last thing I want to end with, I talk to so many people that say they don't have time to scout. Same as you. But when I talk to that hunter in the fall, in September – they're hunting 15 to 20 days of the archery season. You know, our archery tag starts September 2nd, goes, I believe, the 30th, and they're hunting at least half of those days. I tell that hunter, cut back on your hunting days. I know that's not what you think a hunter should advise you, but, you know, if you're going to hunt 10 or 15 days of the hunting season, take half of those days. I always take 60%, but, you know, everybody knows my 60-40 rule, but take half of those days hunting and scout. If you know information, you'll create success at the beginning because once hunting season starts, that's when, you know, the animals might adapt to their daily patterns just slightly due to hunters being in the field. But if you scout and know it, the first couple of those days of those hunting seasons, you can create that success because you know what they're doing. So, again, scouting to me is just as much as the days that I actually have, uh, you know, a legal license in my pocket. So, you can't preach it enough. Scouting is what's going to create success for everybody. So, so keep that in mind. Uh, I promise you, you learn to scout. You enjoy scouting. And scout as hard as you're going to hunt. You know, if it gets light 
at you know 5.15, a.m., and you have to be three miles back. When you scout, you need to be back there at those key times. I see so many hunters that scout. They're like, oh, I'm going scouting. I'm going out at noon. I'm like, what are you going to see at noon? Um, you need to scout as hard as you hunt, and that, that's another tip that will help you create a lot more success at the end of the day. Nate, we're out of time. 30 seconds. If you were going to go fishing, we're going to have some nice weather. Where would you go? You know, Terry, we've been talking about walleye so much. Uh, the pike bite is on fire. I have to say that literally almost 100% of my focus uh, in the coming week is switching to pike. Uh, all that rain cooled that water. The lakes are full. Uh, we're in that midsummer bite to where literally the pike bite is on fire. You have top water. You have big spinner baits. You have jerk baits. Uh, but pike is where it's at. That is where all my focus is at. So if I was going to go fishing this weekend, this next two weeks even, uh, I am all about pike. Spinny, 11 Mile, Williams Fork. Uh, all your top pike fishers right now are starting to fire. We saw a lot of big fish in the last couple of days. That's only going to get better. So pike's the name of the game right now for sure. All right. If people want more information, Tightline Outdoors on social media, tightlineoutdoors.com, uh, and they can get a hold of you, book a trip, or get more information. That's it, Terry. Follow us all there, and you keep up with all the posts. All right. We'll talk to you next week, my friend. Talk to you soon, Terry. All right, Nate Zielinski, always a wealth of information. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels is going to join us, and we're going to talk some more dog training right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Dancing dogs. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear locations up and down the front range. Let's go to the phones, and joining us from Hideaway Kennels is Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day. And I know today you want to talk a little bit about trail and hunting etiquette with dogs, but I thought before we got into that, I thought before we got into that, maybe we'd, we'd talk a little bit about, you know, so I have a new puppy. I want to get it properly trained. What do I have to do to get it ready? How old is it when you take it? And then where do you go from there? Yeah, for as far as us training a dog, we really like to get them when they're five months old. That's a golden age of when they start forming habits, start testing some boundaries. And um, for us personally, if we can get them in at five months and start teaching them, hey, let's move this way, let's do this direction, it, it tends to go really smooth in those first couple of weeks of obedience and getting birds in there. They really just take on to it and stick on to I'm a family member. I've, I've got to listen to people, but then I love birds, and that's really what you're looking for in a hunting dog. So that's the age we like to get them at five months to start that, but we really like it when owners are doing work before that five months and really interacting with that puppy before we get them. Any particular type of interaction you'd like to see them do or just really uh, uh, just get a relationship with the animal? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Like, I really like obedience with dogs living in the house. And then the main thing is, I mean, within there is your sit and stay, your woe, your heel, your leash work. The main thing that's the biggest thing for us is when owners do things that counter what we're going to be working on. For example, like, if every day they get up, let their dog pull them on the leash to the park, and then that dog gets bigger, and then all of a sudden they can't get them, and they're muscling them with the reward of the park, and then we get them that's an issue we have to back up and get the dog to relearn how to be on a lead. Um, The other one is really just, we had one dog one time we trained and every time we get this dog on bird, she'd just shred a bird and eat it. And we just really struggled trying to get her through retrieving it. 
I was talking to the owners and she said, well, every day I go to Goodwill and I buy her a stuffed animal and I bring it home and I let her shred it. You know, so then it's kind of like, well, we developed a problem before we got here, you know, and so it's more of just talking, whether it's us or another trainer, you know, talking with the trainer where the goal is to where the dog needs to be and then interacting with that trainer beforehand of goals to meet something the dog comes in. There's some smooth transition and really working on things which you should be, which is birds, not a bunch of crazy behavior where the dog's, you know, just been left in a backyard to do whatever it wants to. And now all of a sudden somebody's asking it to do something daily. Now, if somebody already has a dog and they're past that yeah. five-month period, do you still take them and train them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we still do. We just have to have an honest conversation where the dog is. You know, if the dog's a year old and has, you know, I mean, that's that's one thing, you know, that people should think about when they're getting a dog trained is, is be honest with yourself where your dog is. You know, I mean, if your dog has a ton of problems, you're going to still have those problems when it's in for training. And, and us or another trainer has to navigate through those and try to rework some problems and then get a positive outcome for that dog. And, um, you know, I've, I've always said dog, dog training is not producing widgets. You know, we don't put it on a manufacturing line and get X product back out. I mean, it's, it's a development of a life of that dog. You're working on those things. So if you have a 10-month-old dog that's just not listening to anything as wild and crazy – you know, two or three months with the trainer is not going to fix that. That trainer is just set up a pattern to say, hey, here's some new behaviors. You need to work on this and develop it. Because for 10 months every day, that dog has gotten away with that behavior. It's, it's going to take some time to get it past those behaviors to focus on those things. And then typically once they bring a dog to you, you board them while you train them, I believe. How long do you have the dog typically? Yeah, so we have our six-week puppy program. And um, it's a board and train, like you said, where the dogs stay with us. Um, we get to get out and work them, um, and depending on the dog, maybe multiple times a day, maybe one drill that we're working on with that dog with where they're at, and maybe three or four drills we're working on with them. And um, we typically run that up until the fall, that puppy program. And then we start our fall tune-up program, which is a three-week um, pr- program getting ready for hunting season. So that's where we're hunting them, you know, five to six days a week. We're getting them out and hunting them in different areas, getting them to see different looks, different scenarios. And um, and that's really where the fun it comes in is when – you know, the dog's done the six-week puppy program. We've given the owners the homework to do in the summer, and then we bring them back in the fall and start implementing some hunting scenarios and places and things they're going to see with hunting other dogs, hunting with, you know, multiple dogs on the ground and focusing on what their job is, is really where that complete first-year dog coming in and starts showing, and we start to see a lot more success then. Now, before we move on to etiquette, real quick, yeah. Is there something that dog owners should be doing right now? Should they they should be working their dogs, getting them in shape and themselves too, right? Right. We should. You know, and I, I really liked your previous segment, that sixty forty rule. Um, man, he really said something that makes you think. Instead of taking two weeks off for hunting, you know, hunt half that time and spend the other time scouting. And I, I would say the same thing about upland hunting. If if you're gonna go up to North Dakota to hunt for two weeks, you better be doing some dog training in relevant time frame before that, you know, and that's, you know, that's building your dog's stamina up, tightening up their paws and getting them tight, you know, and, and, and built up. So they're not having soft paws when you get up on there on those prairies or you're hunting down South, you know, and you're getting into some, some thickets too, you know, you're getting them groomed, you're, you're getting them on the right diet. You got them on the right supplements. And, and now's the time to start going at that and really start looking forward to, to hunting season. Cause it's around the corner. I mean, we're really, or within 90 days of it really being time to go. Now, I know you're a big advocate of proper behavior on the trail and while hunting. Uh, The the etiquette, both when you run into somebody else or maybe you're hunting with 
somebody who has a dog for the first time. Take us through some of the basics there. Yeah, the one that we see a lot of um, is two two groups of people, you know, get together to hunt, and, and they're there. They all know each other, and, and they're talking and getting guns out, showing guns, showing pictures, all that before the hunt starts, and they let the dogs out. And the, one dog comes around the corner, and the other one's surprised. And, and then all of a sudden, you may have a dog fight. You may have who are you and, and that interaction. So before the guns come out, before the boots get put on, if you're in a parking lot of, of a hunting area, you know, what I really like to do is – Get each dog out on a leash, walk them away from the vehicles, walk them away from tight corners, let them smell each other, let them say hi, and then let them out, and then go get your stuff. That's the way you're going to do it. But, you know, really where you see fights or you see problems is this dog just got out of a truck that's his possession. You know, his owner's in there, it's his smell, and then another dog's near that. You're just setting up some failure there. So I really like to get them out, give them each treat, take them away from the vehicles, give them space, space so they don't feel intruded. And let them have a couple cookies, say hi, and then start getting gear out and then go is really the way I suggest doing a hunting. And that's more upland. You know, I mean, if you're waterfowl hunting, I, I would suggest doing it beforehand because, you are you know, you've been duck hunting like us. It's 4 o'clock in the morning and you're throwing decoys, you know, in the, in the pitch black. And, and that's another time where dogs are vulnerable and then their, their attention's up a little bit more. So I generally try to get them that night before, let them snuff, let them be around each other, let them play. Then generally, if you get in the boat or the blind, they're more familiar with each other. And that's the way I like to do it for hunting. You know, if we're hiking, that's a that's a whole other thing. Or if we're out doing some scouting for grouse in the, in the woods, that's a whole other subject on there, too, of how to handle that. So how do you? Let's take we'll take an extra minute or two. Corey from Colorado yeah. Clays is on the line. But I promise you, Corey, we'll get you and give you lots of time. Take me through. I meet somebody on the trail. They have a dog. Yeah, I mean, I typically, when I'm out with my dog on the trail, I'm I'm looking ahead. I mean, like your previous segment, like, if we're out hiking this time of year, we're out looking for elk. You know, I mean, we, me and my wife did a hike last week, and, and it was to enjoy Colorado and being outside, but we have some tags, and we were looking for elk. So, I'm always looking on the head of me, behind me, around me, and it's the same with the dogs. So, if you're looking up and you see somebody coming down the trail... I generally call my dog back. I have my dog on an e-collar, and um, I'll bring them back, clip on my leash, and then give a distance to ask, hey, is your dog okay around other dogs? Hey, is your dog aggressive? You know, then if not, I can walk away. If it is, then we can same thing. Let them sniff each other with leashes on, and then let them hang out and then go on. But where you get in that same problem is if somebody's walking with their dogs, and then you come around the corner and they see another dog, Again, we're in that fight or flight or freeze moment with all dogs all the time. I mean, they've got to make a decision in a second of how they're going to protect their owner. So always have your leash on. You don't have it buried in a pocket. Don't have it in your backpack, and then you're trying to collect everything to get your dog on. Have your leash clipped to you. Have your e-call ready to go. And if you see somebody coming, just call your dog back in, and then they'll see you do that. And most people on the trail are good folks. that will see you call your dog back in, put it on a leash. They'll do the same. Then you can meet, you know, we're halfway, talk about how things are going, if dogs are safe, and then you can let them play. And that's really how you avoid problems while you're on the trail or out hunting. If, if you're out grouse hunting in the mountains and you see somebody coming down the ridge. And especially in grouse season, because you may see a bow hunter. You know, I mean, if, if you've got a bow hunter out there and he's, he's got elk coming down and your dog's running around, and then you let his, your dog go chase elk and you just blew his hunt, you're, you're not going to have a friend that day. You know, so I'm always conscious of hunters that aren't just upland hunters you know, like us, if we're out or if we're, we're bow hunting or if they're bow hunting or sheep hunting All right. at that time of year. So, yeah. My friend, we are out of time. If people want more information or if they want to get some dogs trained, how do they get a hold of you? 
Yeah, they can reach us at our webpage at hideawaykennels.com or they can find us on Facebook at Hideaway Kennels and, and send us a message. We're happy to get in touch with them. All right. We will have you on again soon. Thank you so much. Great information, Ben. Have a good rest of the weekend. You too, Terry. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You bet. Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels. Now, I know we're running a little late, but we're going to go to Colorado Clay's next, and we're going to give it plenty of time because they have some interesting perspectives on what's going on with ammunition shortages, when you should be practicing, and all kinds of other things. On Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the front range. Let's go to the phones and waiting patiently, I hope. Joining us from Colorado Clays is Corey. Good morning, Corey. Hi, Terry. Sorry you had to wait a little bit, but I tell you what, you guys recommended Ben to us, and he shares so much great information, and it really ties into a lot of what you do with all the upland game seasons around the corner and and all the training and all that. He just shares some great information. But earlier in the show, we were talking uh, to Nate Zielinski, and he's out trying to find particular bullets for muzzle loader, and he's having a tough time. He says he's gone from store to store to store, and a lot of the stuff he wants, even for a regular rifle, muzzleloader, isn't available. And this is a time when we're telling people, you need to be practicing. You need to be getting out and doing things. Now, we know Colorado Clays has shotguns. You have every discipline of shotgun. You have a rifle pistol range. But can you accommodate the muzzleloader? Yeah, we sure can. We get a lot of calls this time of year as you know whether or not we can. And we, we definitely can accommodate muzzleloaders. Um, you know, you can shoot prone from the rifle range. It goes out to 100 yards. We also have a 50-yard target set up, you know, to help people for, the, you know, the sight-in process. We can help you bore sight rifles. So, yeah, all that we can, uh, all that we can accommodate. And with the muzzle loaders uh, finding ammo, I think it's going to be so important for them to get out, find enough of the load they're going to use, shoot enough of it to dial in their rifle and feel comfortable, but still have enough left to hunt with so it's a great time to do that uh you also have a video on your rifle range is that right yeah so we have 10 uh individual rifle range stalls in the rifle range and in the shooter's bay each bay there's a camera or a screen that shows your target at 100 yards and I was down in the range the other day, and it's really neat this time of year when people are working on, you know, sighting in. You can use, like, a dry erase marker, you know, mark if you're using different loads, make some notes on the screen. Um, so, yeah, it works out really well. You don't have to go downrange and take a look at your target or rely on the use of binoculars. You know, it's, it's, so it's right in your lane in each one. And, you know, maybe you should explain to people why you can accommodate uh, muzzle loaders because you have a covered range, but you have open targets, right? Right. So where you shoot from is a, a nice covered shooting canopy. It's, uh, you know, nice and cool in the summer. We have heat in there in the winter. But from the shooter's position, downrange, it's open air um, and natural light. So, you know, uh, different from an indoor range where you've got artificial light and, you know, a ventilation system, it's, it's, it's comfortable from where you shoot from. But, you know, natural light from the shooter's position, you know, downrange. Well, in fact, your range is so unique and with you have you have skeet, you have trap, you have wobble trap, you have training ranges, you have rifle pistol. I think Westward recognized you as the best outdoor range in Colorado. Is that right? Yeah, we were excited this year to be voted by the Westward readers 
um, the, the best outdoor shooting range, which is cool. We're just, you know, we're 30 minutes from downtown Denver. So once you get out there, you kind of feel like, um, you know, you're you know not in the city, obviously, but really convenient drive from the metro area, um, you know, with the access of I-76 or E-470, we're easy to access really from all over the metro area. Yeah, it really is. And you guys, and I say this all the time, I don't say it as often when JR is on because I don't like to pump him up too much. But you guys are really great, great people. And the way you treat everybody and the knowledge you have out there, you've been such tremendous partners to this show. And it's so easy to promote you guys because of the way you take care of people. You know, I have a couple of questions for you. Uh, dove season, one of my favorite ways to go through ammo and not accomplish anything, is right around the corner. And you guys have your patterning board. I would imagine that a lot of people don't think about, you know, they probably change their load when they hunt doves and they, one they use for waterfall or possibly even pheasants or grouse. Uh, they should really come in and use that patterning board to find out just what the range is for that load. Yeah, I'm glad you bring up the patterning area. We have a, a great area set up with a variety of different distances you can use any, you know, any different type of load on that. And that is a good point. You know, you, you really need to practice with what you're going to be hunting with, whether it's, you know, doves or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then the other thing that's been really nice with the patterning board is people with new shotguns. It's very important to understand where your shot, how your shotgun is, is patterned. And so that area has been actually really busy and a great resource or a great tool for people as they get new shotgun just to kind of understand, you know, how their shotguns are shooting just in general, too. Very important for, you know, dove season and, you know, getting warmed up for that. But great if you've just got a new shotgun also. Well, you know, it's not only patterning those loads, but where does it shoot compared to my sight pattern or where I'm looking? Because, you know, you might have had a shotgun you were so accurate with, you might be surprised how different it is with a different gun. Right. And, you know, back to the ammo situation, you know, we have a a pretty good variety of ammo, but what we're finding is, you know, we might have a box of of 30-odd six, you know, 10 boxes, but they're all from different manufacturers, uh, you know, all different specs. So it's going to be tricky getting a hold of enough ammo to practice with, you know, sight in, and then also be able to have saved up for your hunt too. So that's going to, I'm glad you brought that up because each ammo kind of shoots different. Um, so, you know, it's nice to have something to think about for sure. It really does. Now, speaking of sight in, it's a ways off yet, but when we get closer to big game season, you, it's always easy to sight in at Colorado clays. You mentioned the video cameras and being able to mark on the screen and you can shoot from all the different positions. You can shoot on sticks. You can shoot on a bag. It's just so many different ways to sight in, but you do actually have some dedicated sighting clinics that'll be coming up where you actually have experts there helping the people with what's ever going on with their gun. When do those start? We'll start those late August and typically they're every other Sunday. And as we fill them up, we're, we've been known to, you know, add some uh, sessions as well, but we get our experts in there before we open. So they have the range, the rifle range to themselves. They'll go through the, some particulars about, um, you know, the process of sighting in, et cetera, before they go to the range. And then the, the instructors will actually take you with your rifle, hopefully the ammo you're going to use on your hunt to the range and make sure that you're spot on um, during the session. They're really valuable. And we've got people that come back each year now, or they'll get a new rifle or whatever, and, you know, want to go through that process again. But it, it's just very important to get sighted in. I hate to hear when our uh, regular clients come out and they've, you know, paid and spent money on a really, 
um, exciting hunt and then, you know, had a, a issue with their rifle not being sighted in or the scope moves or whatever. So it's, it's so important to get prepared ahead of time. Well, you know, and people should be shooting year round anyway, because when you get into that situation, anybody who tells me that their pulse and their breath don't quicken and they don't feel an excitement when they when they're about to try to harvest a big game animal shouldn't hunt because isn't that why we do it all? I mean, and everybody does. And you don't want to be thinking about how does my safety work? What is my trigger pull like? What is my sight picture like? Those should be all things that you work on year round that you're ready to go so that when that time comes up, you're just going to think about that shot and you're going to do it not only accurately, but safely. Right, exactly. Yep, and even down to the clothes, I've got people that you know it'll be August or whatever, and they've got a jacket or a vest or whatever. They might be getting ready for dove, and they're they're actually shoot oftentimes with you know whatever clothing they'll wear on their upper body just to you know feel how the mount is on a on a vest or whatever the case may be. So yeah, all those details are really important. You're absolutely right. The last thing I want to talk to you about is you guys not only are a great, obviously a great shooting range, voted number one by Westward Readers and a great partner to the show, but you're great partners to the community. I know one of the things you personally take a lot of pride in are the fundraisers you do. Oh, I just, one of my passions and my role there is, you know, kind of introducing sporting clays or using sporting clays as a fundraiser. And I tell, you know, my clients that if you've organized a golf tournament, which a lot of charities um, do, you'd really just take that model and apply it to sporting clays and this summer alone, I've introduced a, a couple new clients to, you know, that, you know, the event, uh, you know, holding an event on the Sporting Clays. A couple of weeks ago, we had a, a hospital foundation um, first time event. It was outstanding. You know, it, big organizations and small organizations, you know, we'll walk you through the, um, the process of how to plan one, et cetera. One of my favorites will be coming up in a few weeks, and that's the, the event we do for Outdoor Buddies. I think Terry, you're probably familiar with them. They're they're dear to my heart. They you know take people with disabilities and and whatnot, um, make sure that they can have a successful hunt. They've got these track chairs where they can get people in the outdoors. Um, it's, so they're just a great organization. But so we have a lot of longstanding partners that we you know partner up with. We've got Easter Seals, um, but it's also a, a passion of mine to introduce new organizations to that idea too. So yeah, that's a, one of our favorite things to do. So if people want more information on your fundraisers or any of the facilities, how do they get a hold of you, Corey? Oh, a lot of that information is on our website at coloradoclays.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. So, yeah, or just give us a call and set an appointment, come out for a visit, and we'll be happy to sit down with you and show you around. All right. Thanks for joining us, and thanks for being such great partners to the show, Corey. Oh, thank you, Terry. All right, Corey from Colorado Clay. It's just a great organization. If you're into shooting, uh, get to know them. You'll just love going out there. We're going to take a time out, and we come back. We're going to more outdoors and wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to wrap things up, but a couple things I want to make sure I mentioned to everybody. One is with the number of people getting outdoors, with the changing conditions because of both the weather and other things that are affecting, know before you go. Research an area before you go. Make sure it's accessible and you understand what it takes to recreate there and have a backup plan in case you get there and it's just not going to work out. So really plan ahead. It's so important with the things. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of the segments you heard today about where the fish are biting, getting ready for hunting, 
We post links to those segments on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We also give current information. If I'm out in the field, uh, if I'm fishing or hunting or out there, I'll put that on the Facebook page. We'll let you know what's coming up on the show a lot of times. So the best way to stay in tune with this show is follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And we also post links to our YouTube uh, channel, the, the Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, on our Facebook page because we we add new videos to it. But there's over 150 episodes there, Mo- uh, half of those filmed right here in your backyard. They'll really help you fishing. So follow us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and tune in every Saturday from 9 to 11 and listen to us live. But now I want to know, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio Yes, and I have a question before you give me a hard time. I'm not giving you a hard time today, but go ahead. Okay, so I was listening earlier, and you were talking about, I don't, I don't remember the species of fish or species, but uh, you were saying bring a thermometer and check out if it gets to 60-something degrees or something because it hurts the fish, uh, but then I, you didn't elaborate. How does it hurt the fish if you fish over a certain degree? Well, trout... Trout do best from about 40 to 60 degrees. When the water gets over 60 degrees, it really stresses them. So if you're fishing in water that's 65 or close to 70 degrees, and you catch and handle those fish and you're planning on releasing them, it's, it can be very difficult for them to recover. So if you're not harvesting fish, if you're just fishing to catch and release, we recommend you don't fish in those streams when there's those temperatures. In fact, Parks and Wildlife has closed some of the rivers because of low flows to fishing just for that. Uh, but if you are going to fish, if you check the temperature, we just want to preserve. We want to preserve those resources. What do they so do? They're die? There for a long like, time. Do they go into shock or do they die or what happens? Yeah, though usually what happens if you catch them and play them on a rod and reel, the longer they stress, then they can't recover in that warm weather. So they do actually, there's a high mortality even though you're releasing them. Oh, no, that sucks. So I have two things for you. One is I love flat iron steaks. And I know you do a ton of smoking and grilling. It's one of my favorite cuts because it's tender but has such a beefy flavor. Do you do anything special with your flat iron steaks? Yes, I like flat irons, and sometimes I will separate them. I don't always, but they come in a real long strip, but, like, one end is thin and the other one's fat, real thick. Yeah, and I cut that off, too, and then cook them at different times. Yes, exactly. I like to do that, but I'll do – I mean, they are. I've been told – and there's a couple different cuts people will tell you, tell you about this, but I've been told they are the second most tender cut next to the tenderloin. That may or may not be true, but they are very tender – um, and, yeah, I just do olive oil, Lowry season salt, and garlic powder. That's all you need, man. They're money. They are such a good uh, cut of steak, Terry. And people will think you're you know, just – and I cut them, you know, I cut them like fajita style, and uh, they, you're like in a little strip, and they're just delicious. Yeah, I cut them like a family style and serve them, and they're, yeah. they're fantastic. Exactly. Hey, sometimes I'll serve them on a sizzling plate. I'll undercook them and put them on a heated cast iron plate to serve them, and they'll finish – cooking right at the table hey the other question i have we're going to run out of time it's and okay. i don't want to it's get okay. accused of it's taking, fine. go ahead i don't take that everybody's talking about the quarterback you know is it going to be drew lock is it going to be teddy but there's some other decisions that have to be made i think one is inside linebacker do we know really how solidified that position is and do we really know who's going to be the starting running back 
Well, Melvin Gordon's going to start the season. People want to anoint the rookie. I'm not so fast on that. They'll be better served getting all their money they can out of Melvin Gordon this year. Yeah, uh, Josie Joel, uh, inside linebacker, at least one of those inside linebacker spots. You're right, Terry. That's that's up for grabs 100%. But, no, Melvin Gordon, they'll be better served if they can get 1,500, 1,800 total yards out of him and 10-plus touchdowns. That means they're going to have a successful season. Do they still have the option because he didn't get charged they still have an option of waiving his contract or they're no they're boy they yeah well they, if, he, if he gets suspended maybe but they're, they're going forward with him all right well i'll let you talk about that i'm gonna go get ready to grill my flat iron steak oh that'd be delicious post some pictures have karen post some pictures oh she will and i'll we'll pair it with a really nice cabernet too sounds sounds fantastic all right my friend we'll we'll end this and let you get started uh, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wicksham Outdoors. Tune in every Saturday from 9 to 11. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Karen for keeping us on the air. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobson Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Summer sweat.